If you need a new roof or a repair, Easton Roofing will take care of you. Estimates are always free and suggestions are built on integrity. Visit EastonRoofing.com for more information. Get back to business faster with Easton Roofing. Easton Roofing. Integrity matters. The Zone is presented by Guaranteed Foods, delivering all-natural food to Midwestern families since 1958. Enjoy healthier food, more free time, free delivery, and better value. Go to GuaranteedFoods.com. All right, hanging out on this Thursday edition of The Zone. We'll talk with Matt Lane right now, KC Sports Network, kcsn.substack.com. Joining us here in The Zone, we'll hear from the Chiefs coming up later on this hour. Matt, welcome to the show. How are you, sir? I'm doing pretty good. Thank you for having me on. It's, uh, it's been a nice little week as we get ready to cover yet another Chiefs Super Bowl here in, uh, I guess, two weeks from now. Yeah, not not too bad. How was Dallas? Uh, how was the, uh, the practices and the uh, great coverage you guys have down there uh, with the uh, Shrine Bowl? It was awesome. We love going to the Shrine Bowl every year, and this year they had it in uh, Dallas at the Star, actually, instead of in Las Vegas, and it was it was fun. It was a nice little change. The facility down there at the Star is phenomenal, and Eric Galco puts on, I mean, a great kind of all-star uh, game and stuff like that. It's very geared towards the players and getting the media what they need, so it's, just, it's a lot of fun, and we get to sit down, have one-on-one interviews with a bunch of different players pick and choose, you know, guys that we like talking to, like on the field. So it's one of our favorite times of year. And then now the past few years, it's become kind of a tradition to watch the Chiefs win the AFC championship game while we were on this trip down to the Shrine Bowl. So we were all <laughs> together at, the, at an Airbnb watching the game and having a good time with that. That is uh, that is awesome. Are there um, any players or player that's uh, starting to uh, catch the affection of your eye and uh, maybe develop a crush on as uh, you guys get ready for this uh, draft guide and, of course, uh, the draft and you guys get fully um, you know, in, in, in just a, a fully encompassed in uh, all of the things that will take place with the draft? Yeah, there's always going to be a few guys down there. I think the big one right now that I think a lot of, and I think a lot of Chiefs fans have kind of gravitated towards has been Malik Washington, a wide receiver from Virginia who had previously been at Northwestern, transferred to Virginia after four years after graduating from Northwestern. He's a kind of got a Tyree Kill body type. I'm not saying he is Tyree Kill, but he's got that body type. So he's a little shorter, but really well built. Great after the catch. Not afraid to go over the middle of the field and just. You can see him, you know, whether it's his highlights or you watch him one-on-one, you just get why it kind of works. You can find this reliable pass catcher over the middle of the field, good after the catch. So he was a fun one. And then uh, Christian Boyd from northern uh, Iowa, he blew up in uh, Blue Springs, defensive tackle. He actually nice. was so a local guy, big Chiefs fan, and not many people probably had watched or, you know, paid that much attention up until this point of him. And he was phenomenal down there. He might have been, you know, the best defensive player on either team during the practices leading up to the game. So – I think Chiefs fans will remember Colin Saunders impressing at the Senior Bowl a few yeah. years back, winding up on the Chiefs. I, you know, Christian Boyd could be on that kind of same trajectory, just as kind of blowing up in an All Star game and being a defensive tackle that people didn't really have eyes on until this came around. Interesting, yeah. No, I'm looking forward to some of the write ups and everything there. Uh, how did uh, how did my guy Malachi Corley uh, look to you? I, um, I, I my wife's a, a Hilltopper, so I've watched WKU a lot over the last couple of years, and. Um, I'm not saying he is Debo Samuel, but if there was a Debo Samuel in the draft, I think it would be him. Uh, how did he look to you, or was he sort of just blending in, or a, a, a possibility that uh, he could be uh, somebody making some uh, some news? Uh, he's actually down in uh, Mobile at the there Super we go. Bowl. So that, Great. Yeah. How did you see him from uh, you know miles and miles away? 
<laughs> no, no, it's okay. I've seen, I, we've had a little bit of time. I've been watching the practices that they air on NFL Network and stuff Amazing. like that. So I do have, so yeah, he's, he's looked good. Cause I mean, you know, here's a guy that mostly mm. played running back leading up till recently. Yeah. And now he's kind of switched to wide receiver. So he's definitely a, a yak guy in the yeah. Debo, I think is like your high end, but he kind yeah. of reminds me of even a less polished Rasheed Rice coming out last year where it's like you get the ball in his hands and let him go to work. It's just the challenge of figuring out how to get the ball in his hands. So he's mostly, you know, at the senior bowl, I think he's done a good job showing that he's explosive. It's just you're still a long way to go as a receiver, but we've seen like a team like the Chiefs can find a way to make that work. Yeah, I'll eventually figure out which is which. I'll get there one day. Uh, I'm very excited about. They overlap now. So I know. I mean, that is fair. I know, uh, and I'm like, well, was that the Senior Bowl? Was that the Shrine Bowl? Either way, Matt Lane. We know that. We know he's our guest from uh, KCSN.substack.com, the KC Laboratory Podcast. Um, all right. So uh, your takeaway from the uh, the Ravens game? I know that you wrote at uh, at KCSN at KC Sports Network. Uh, the the turning point, the sort of big play of the game that you went through, and, and certainly there were a number of them, and, and I was in agreement with you reading you know, the Legereus Sneed play on Zay Flowers, the interception with Deion Bush uh, that happened there, but as you look at the uh, the totality of the game, what's your takeaway from that and, and uh, how the Chiefs were able to, to pull it off? And I really think the Chiefs just they just know how to win football games. They just know what's needed from them. I mean, it seems that I think it's been no more evident than these playoff run, right? So Against the Dolphins, I think they were very well aware that the Dolphins were beat up over the middle on defense, over the middle of the field. And the offense probably didn't have to do a whole lot, but they were going to have to show a little bit of something. They had to find a little bit of rhythm. So the offense attacks the middle of the field. They move the ball. They're never really pressing, trying to get touchdowns. They're okay with field goals because they know that'll work. And they just kind of control that whole game. They know their defense is going to be able to shut down the Dolphins' offense if they win that game. They go into the Bills, and I think they know offensively they're going to need a little bit more scoring output versus the Bills. And, yes, the defense was still depleted, but they knew they needed more. So they come out, and the offense still, again, plays better. They're pushing the ball downfield. They're getting in these condensed formations and showing this defense more things to deal with and to look at. And it's because they think they knew they needed more. I don't think they anticipated their defense necessarily struggling as much as it did in the first half, but they knew they could lock it down in the second half. They just had to keep keep up for that first 30 minutes of football, then they kind of take over. And then now you get to the Ravens game. And I think Travis Kelsey on the new Heights podcast said it. They just had, if they scored a couple touchdowns, they knew that would put pressure on a Ravens offense that doesn't want to function through the drop back pass game. And they did that. They came out, they scored two touchdowns quick. They get a follow-up field goal. And the rest of the time you could just feel the Ravens were chasing the points. The Chiefs defense played great. And even the couple times that, the Ravens' offense move the ball down the field. They get two turnovers, you know, in or near the red zone, just because the Chiefs' defense was being very opportunistic. They were making or letting the Ravens come to them, starting to make those plays down the stretch once the defense got tired. So they just know how to win, and I think that's a huge part of having success in the league anymore. You know, people have talked about the uh, Ravens' uh, lack of running the football, and why didn't they run the football? Why didn't they run the football? Um, and and I guess it's um, a, a point of contention because the Ravens didn't put points on the board, but. Um, you know, if you're saying they should have run the football when they, you know, decided to call the passing play that ended up being an interception down the middle or should have run the football instead of throwing it to Zay Flowers, you know, to get down to the half yard line. I mean, they drove the length of the field a couple of times, but as you mentioned, the Chiefs were opportunistic. Uh, how much do you think the Chiefs offense in the second half was playing complimentary football and not needing to maybe take some risks or do some things that would be um, uh, 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 problematic, uh, potentially problematic, that would set up a short field for the Ravens? And how much do you think the offense was just simply stymied by the Ravens' defense that 
if the Ravens were to score um, with Zay Flowers' dive or, um, you know, uh, they, they don't, you know, throw the ball to Isaiah Likely, would the Chiefs' offense then be able to respond and get something going? Or was the opportunistic defense really the reason they end up winning that, this game and the first couple of drives in which the Chiefs put together brilliant drives, made plays, and that ended up being enough? I don't want to take anything away from the Ravens' defense. I think they had some excellent adjustments and some really good stuff to throw with the Chiefs. The Chiefs' offense, even just on the basics, they weren't executing it very well. And, again, a lot of that goes to the Ravens' defense. Uh, they, the Chiefs had more success just running their basic plays versus the Dolphins and the Bills. So I don't, I don't want to take anything away from the Ravens' defense. That said, I think it came pretty clear midway through the third quarter uh, that the Chiefs' offense wasn't – wasn't taking it easy, but they were more worried about not making a mistake. They were more worried about playing conservative, not giving the Ravens a short field to capitalize on because to the point that we talked about earlier, they got that early lead, and they knew that was going to make the Ravens press a little bit. That got the Ravens out of a more run-heavy script, and they probably should have ran more, even though it was a 10-point deficit. Like I think that she's got the game script they wanted, and then offensively, I do think they took their foot off the gas, not in a, okay, we have this game wrapped up, but more so they just not wanting to give the Ravens a chance to make a big play. Everything was very calculated. Everything was – they were thinking about every play call, every part of the play. So, yeah, if they needed to turn it up a little bit more, I think you could have seen them get more aggressive. Now, if that would have resulted in points for sure, we won't know because we didn't see it. Obviously, the first two drives went pretty well for them. They were getting stuff done. The Ravens adjusted. I think the Chiefs continued to try to put up points. When they realized it wasn't going to be as easy as it was to start the game, I think they started worrying a little bit, paying more attention to just making sure they controlled the ball, making sure they didn't shoot themselves in their foot. So I think there's another step there this offense still had left in them that they just never really needed to bring out in this game. Matt Lane is our guest from KC Sports Network. Um, I, I want to hit on uh, one more thing on the uh, the Ravens' offense and Todd Munkin, whether he ran the ball enough or didn't run the ball enough or they abandoned the running game or they panicked in the moment. Um, I think S- Steve Spagnuolo's game plan was, was absolutely brilliant. Uh, Lamar Jackson has struggled all year when blitzed on third down. Uh, he's got the second lowest completion percentage when blitzed on third down. When not blitzed on third down, I think he leads the league in completion percentage. Um, so... You know, Spags was bringing the blitz. Uh, uh, Lamar Jackson has one of the highest completion percentage in intermediate passes, uh, 10 yards to 19 yards. They didn't attempt to throw intermediate pass in the first half um, and or or, uh, or complete a pass, whatever it was. There was a stat out there to where they just simply were not attacking that area. So my question to you is, you know, when you watch that game and maybe watch back and see some other things that take place, did Todd Munkin just simply abandon the run, or was Steve Spagnolo's plan that Todd Munkin was then trying to adjust? Because we talk about the adjustment to the adjustment. That Todd Munkin was adjusting to what the Chiefs were doing, which certainly seemed to be, Matt, we're going to try to take away the run, keep Lamar in the pocket, and make him beat us with his arm. So if we're going to do what we can in early downs to stop the run, wouldn't it be advantageous for Todd Munkin and the Ravens to pass the ball early to try to take advantage of whatever personnel grouping the Chiefs are in? Did Spagnolo force the hand of Todd Munkin, or did Todd Munkin fold under the pressure and panic because they were down early and then down by 10 points in the second half? Both. 
I think the answer is both to that. I, I think to come out and starting out kind of the game and stuff, I think the Chiefs had a good plan. The Ravens, their one drive where they really – where they scored points, you know, they got their touchdown. It was a fourth-and-one uh, QB power run that the Chiefs mm-hmm. just didn't get lined up on and then left a huge gap, and so that was a big play. And then there was Lamar Jackson spinning out of what should have been a sack on a blitz and then he finding Zay Flowers for a touchdown, right? So two broken plays lead to their only scoring drive early on in the game, and everything else to start the game, I think the Ravens' defense was just kind of caught off guard a little bit. I think they made Lamar Jackson feel uncomfortable with showing blitz, bringing blitz, rotating coverages, playing all these different things, giving so much just bland, but like they hit it, but just running basic cover two, and it just seemed like it really was catching the Ravens a little off guard. And so the Ravens are trying to – we saw it against the Texans. They just want to get to halftime, and they'll go in and make all their adjustments. But to start the game, I think the Chiefs just had a really good game plan against the Ravens. And now they did overload versus the run. Anytime the Ravens came out, which wasn't often, but when the Ravens did come out in 21 or 12 personnel, the Chiefs would match not only – with their base, you know, a little over half the time, but they would also bring extra guys into the box and say, hey, Lamar Jackson's going to see this. He's going to want to hunt for a big play downfield because he doesn't want he doesn't want to take a five-yard pass if you're giving him the option to throw it deep. That's just not the kind of quarterback he is. And I think they challenged him to do that, and he didn't rise to the occasion. And so it was just a good game plan, a good back and forth. I think Steve Spagnuolo clearly had the right buttons pushed against this Monken offense who never – adjusted, I think, the right way. I thought coming out of halftime, they would come out and try to lean on the run even more and really control the ball, and they didn't do that. They just continued to throw, and it wasn't until the Chiefs more or less got tired along the defensive front where they could no longer blitz as often as they could that Lamar Jackson started to feel comfortable. He started having three and a half, four seconds to throw the ball. Then they started throwing all these little shallow routes as the Chiefs were giving up the short stuff. So good job by Steve Spagnuolo. Mm -hmm. Another excellent game plan. Three in a row this playoff period. Not only is it a good game plan, but he just always seems to have the right read on what the opposing offense wants to do and how to take it away. And so far, only the the Bills have been the only team that has been able to play, you know, left-handed, so to speak. Yeah, and and uh, the first play of the game, uh, I thought was pretty interesting. Going back and uh, watching some of that, and watching the uh, the all twenty twos and some of the con- uh, the, the game and the uh, condensed version. The first play of the game, Lamar Jackson lines up, and the Chiefs line up, and. The Chiefs then, uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 adjust their defense and they move over to the left side of their line, the right side of the Ravens. And when they do that, Lamar Jackson looks around and it, it, it almost looks like, do I call an audible here or do I stay with the run? And he stayed with the run and the Chiefs moved and shifted exactly where they were running the football. It ended up being a one-yard run for Justice Hill. Like the Chiefs moved and shifted everybody down to the left side of their line. And the Ravens ran to the right, exactly where the Chiefs shifted to. And and at that point, I'm like, right, the Chiefs have an idea of what the Ravens are doing here. Now, this is only one play. It's the first play of the game. But the first play of the game, they were like, ah, oh, they're doing this. All right, let's, uh, let's shift down here. Uh, this is what we think they're doing. And Lamar Jackson, it almost looked like, well, I, it's early. I'll stay with the plan. I'll stay with the play. And and I wonder if even early on there was some sort of a, uh, you know, uh, getting in the head of like, oh, wait, <laughs> they knew exactly what we were doing there. Um, uh, uh, now what? Yeah, and the teams have shown this, this playoff stretch here, and I think, that, I think that was an example, too, is when you have somebody like Leo Chanel, who you can reduce down to play, essentially they play a five-man front yeah. across the line, and yep. they put Leo Chanel in as essentially a four-eye, like right over the offensive tackles inside shoulder, 
State pulled him down as a defensive end. Like, they'll play a true 5-2, a five-man front with two linebackers. And so I think what they did was they shifted over some of the D-line, but I think Chanel stepped down, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. and just – I think that look, I'm not saying it confused Lamar Jackson or the Ravens, but to your point, it was almost like he kind of knew that they shifted into the play, but it's the first play of a scripted play, which, you know, every team's going to have some. You don't know if you want to come out and kill the very first play call that your coach has been planning all week, right, when you get to the line of scrimmage. You don't know if you want to kill it. And so whether it was great advanced scouting by the Chiefs to know the in that formation of that personnel group, the Ravens really want to run to the right side of their line because they really do some funky stuff with their offensive tackle, their rotating offensive tackles. Or if you know they just happen to get the right call at the right time, but whatever it was, that right there, I think, kind of set the precedent that, okay, the Chiefs are going to do some stuff that the Ravens aren't exactly ready for, and you don't know how well they're going to handle it. I don't think Lamar Jackson handled it well at all in the first three quarters. And it wasn't until, I think I said, the Chiefs got tired. Losing Charles O'Menohue hurt a ton. And now all of a sudden a defensive line group that's already going to be tired from chasing around one of the most athletic quarterbacks ever now is one man down. They're, you know, second best one-on-one pass rusher down. I think that played a big part on how he or why he started to feel comfortable in the, towards the end of the game and why the Ravens kind of started to move the ball. But until then, he was struggling. Todd Munkin did not have the right answers until it was kind of too late. And so – Great job, Sag. Great job, the entire coaching staff that kind of had that thing scouted out. Yeah, that one play, you know, I'm, I'm looking at it again because, uh, as you talked about, you know, they've got their alignment, and then they shift. They bring Drew Tranquil up to the line of scrimmage. Like, he's on the line of scrimmage next to George Karloftis. Justin Reed is lined up right behind him. Um, Nick Bolton slides over and is lined up across, like, right behind Karloftis, but across from the right tackle. And Leo Chanel lines up. you know, essentially right over the center. So they are so far stacked to the left, exactly where the Ravens are running it. And they stayed with the play, and it was a one-yard gain, and Chanel got there, and Reed got there, and Tranquil helped, you know, uh, set the edge. And it was like, no, no, we know what you're doing. And they went right there and and still ran with it. Um, I asked this question in the first hour because, you know, sort of comparing it to Tom Brady and his run since he took over for Drew Bledsoe, only, you know, four other quarterbacks even made a Super Bowl until uh, Patrick Mahomes did in 2019, that being, you know, Peyton Manning, Big Ben, Joe Flacco, and then Rich Gannon early on, um, you know, a couple of years before Rich Gannon ended up retiring. Does Lamar make a Super Bowl in his career? If we're looking at, you know, Patrick Mahomes being as selfish as Tom Brady is about making as many Super Bowls, um, and Joe Burrow's already made one, you've got Josh Allen, you've got some other guys, like the, the difficulty of getting there, um, the the odds would say no, but uh, I'm just wondering, in, in your standpoint, uh, does Lamar Jackson ever find himself in a Super Bowl? Oh, that's tough. I, on one hand, it's really hard to say, like, no, because mm-hmm. he's such a good player. It's a very trustworthy team in terms of retooling, getting better, finding an identity, right? The Ravens have certainly earned the benefit of the doubt there. So it's really hard to say no, but then you start thinking about, okay, Mahomes is always going to be in this picture. I think at this point we can comfortably say, Hey, if you have to play Patrick Mahomes in the in the playoffs, you're most likely going to lose, right? <laughs> like, so it, that that already presents one significant challenge. Josh Allen is always going to be there, and while he has not had the same success as Patrick Mahomes, he's played better in the playoffs than you know any other of these AFC quarterbacks really, besides Mahomes. Then Joe Burrow and the Bengals, they've gotten to a Super Bowl. That's still a talented team. Yep. The Ravens, and then now you have all these other teams. Any team that may be retooling, whatever. The Colts, the Texans, like these teams that have you know rebuilt their team and have looked promising this year. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I might start to lean towards no 
just because I think the problem with Lamar Jackson, I think he's great in the regular season when teams are making game-specific game plans week by week, but they're not selling out. They're not just changing everything and playing entirely off their tendencies. You kind of wait till these must-win games in the playoffs. I think we've seen throughout Lamar Jackson's playoff career when when teams can do that, when teams can scheme, where teams are willing to scheme everything around just making him a pocket passer, the, the results haven't been good for him. I mean, he hasn't won a playoff game when the opposing team has scored more than 13 points. And, like, it's not a huge sample size, but we're now up to four games. Yeah. There's four games where he's essentially had to just – his defense has allowed more than 13 points, and he's lost them all in the playoffs. His play does not necessarily elevate in the playoffs, and that's what you were hoping for out of a quarterback. So if I had to bet one way or the other right now, I'd probably lean no just because of how stacked the AFC is yep. and how I think it's a little bit easier in a one-game sample size to slow down Lamar Jackson and make him change how he wants to play. Matt Lane is our guest, KC Sports Network, kcsn.substack.com. What's the impact of uh, no Charles Aminahu, who was uh, out for the Super Bowl? I think it's pretty big. I, I've been going back and forth with this. I, mean, I think the Chiefs, compared to some years prior, are better suited to handle losing, you know, again, who I think is their second-best one-on-one pass rusher because George Kalafis is right there, right? It's, it's clearly Chris Jones, then Eileen Omenicue as a pure pass rusher with George Kalafis just behind him. Losing Omenicue hurts. It's nice to have Kalafis right there behind him making the strides he has this year, but Omenicue coming back to this team and then getting into game shape as Chris Jones got into game shape significantly changed how they can do it. They no longer have to blitz as frequently. They no longer have to rely on just Chris Jones or just this or just that to get pressure. There's a lot of options. And so losing him right before this game against a 49ers team that you are going to want to get pressure on, that's where Brock Purdy obviously starts to struggle, as any quarterback does. I think it's a pretty big situation, especially because you lose that outside-inside pass rush uh, flexibility. And the Chiefs defense is designed around getting Chris Jones the one-on-one matchup he wants. Well, when you lose Omenicue, who you do have to pay attention to, you put him head up over a guard, you can't just say, okay, here's our less athletic guard, go block him one-on-one with zero's help, and we're not going to worry about it. But now if that becomes a Mike Dana, it becomes a Malik Herring at FAU, that, that's a different level of comfort an offense is going to have. So I think that the impact could be relatively large, and it's going to put a lot more pressure on George Karloffis and Chris Jones to make their to make themselves felt in the game because they don't have that third guy that's really going to strike fear in an opposing offense. Matt Lane is our guest. Last one for you, Matt, before we let you go. We won't talk to you before the Super Bowl, so I'll see if you've got an early feel on uh, what happens if you have a uh, prediction. Uh, you don't even have to give us a score because, again, it's like, you know, uh, still 10 days away, but uh, just a thought on, on what you think may happen in the game. I, yeah, I don't have, I won't have a score or anything like that, but I feel pretty good. I feel actually really good about this Chiefs matchup with this 49ers team. I think the 49ers run defense has been very shaky this year. I think that they're a very static defense. Now, obviously, again, one game sample size, they can change all this up. But what they do, mm-hmm. they're kind of a line up and play defense. And from what we have seen in the past, that's is line up and play defenses don't work well against Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. They usually tear them apart. So I think, the last, the lack of rotation post snaps, the lack of stunts in games, the lack of hiding their blitzes that the 49ers usually do lend well to the Chiefs' offense having a pretty good run, and I think you've seen that in the playoffs. The 49ers' defense has given up a lot of points. They've been pretty bad by DVOA and EPA per, uh, per play standards over the past two weeks. So I think the offense will roll just fine. And while I am a little afraid of the 49ers rushing attack against the Chiefs defense. We just saw them hold up well against the Ravens and a limited sample size, but we saw them hold up well. And 
Steve Spagnuolo has seen this Kyle Shanahan offense a lot, yeah. and he's getting better and better almost every single time they kind of play them with these Kyle Shanahan style of offense. Like, when's the last time one of these styles of offenses really beat the Chiefs significantly? It's been a minute, so I feel pretty good about them being able to reduce this game to, hey, Brock Purdy, drop back, read out the blitz where it's coming from, read out the coverage, and go beat us. So I think the Chiefs win this one, and I think they kind of look like the better team throughout most of the game. But like I said, I don't have a score yet. Yeah, the uh, the running game I think is uh, going to be interesting because uh, David Montgomery averaged you know six yards per carry. Uh, Jameer Gibbs, four yards per carry uh, in the game. And, uh, you know, uh, Williams had that, uh, that huge run as well. And also for the, the talk about um, – um, the, the the coverage linebacker and Fred Warner being one of the best in the league. Uh, Sam Laporta had nine receptions for 97 yards in the game. So it's not like uh, tight ends have never done anything against this uh, 49ers defense. So uh, I think the Chiefs have the better defense between the two. And that's something that got dismissed last week going into that Ravens game. Not that they have the better defense between the two. It just got so much talk about the Ravens defense that the Chiefs defense got overlooked. And uh, the Chiefs defense was the best unit out of the four units on the field. The Chiefs defense was the uh, best in that game. Matt Lane, KC Sports Network kcsn.substack.com matt you're the man as always really appreciate the time sir and um we will uh we'll catch up soon hopefully we're talking about uh super bowl number three for patrick mahomes in this uh chiefs uh era awesome thank you guys for having me on yeah i can't wait in a couple weeks to talk about another chiefs uh super bowl victory and then we can turn towards the draft it's another thing i get a little excited about yeah, absolutely man it's a great time matt lane uh, you're the man kcsn.substack.com the kc laboratory podcast uh, down there in Dallas, uh, uh, this uh, most of this week with the uh, East West Shrine Bowl and getting ready for their draft guide that's there, um, and paying attention to guys at the Senior Bowl too. That's great. Just very, very good, very smart. You know, just um, uh, double duty for those guys. Just uh, all the interviews at the Shrine Bowl, and then like, oh, you know what? Let's also keep an eye on the Senior Bowl in case some jackass asks me about a player that is even uh, what uh, what we're watching right now. So you know, it's uh, it's great. Hey, oh, hey, yep. We shouldn't, we shouldn't apologize for having guests who are smarter than we are. That's kind of our job. Our job yeah. isn't to be smart and know things. Exactly, that's right. It's to find people who are smart and do know things. Yeah, that's a great point. That's great. And then so read. You're welcome. And then read the things that they say. Yeah, and then just say them out loud again. Uh, yeah. It's sure. like, oh, how smart are we? Exactly. Yeah. This is sort of how it works. Investigative journalism. That's, that's right. right. We were investigating the mind of Matt Lane. That's exactly right, man. Yep. You dig too deep, you're going to find some things you don't like. Yep, and we broke the news right here. You heard it right here, breaking news. Malachi Corley is at the Senior Bowl. <laughs> it's shocking, honestly. Jeff doesn't even have that yet. <laughs> breaking news. <laughs> um, it was breaking news to me. <laughs> so, they're overlapping. It's yeah, hard. So we're just scrolling I mean, past on, just, them on Twitter, just seeing on, clips man. of dudes and helmets. Oh, man, and... I was... Uh, I was getting all inspired by watching Darius Robinson go and win some uh, matchups. Again, I know, different game. Uh, but, uh, you know. Who could say at this point? Who can? I, I Clearly, I can't. There's only one game in February I care about, Jason. Damn right. And it's called the Supper Bowl. <laughs> What's up next? All right, hanging out here on this Thursday edition of The Zone. Jason Anderson with you, Josh Briscoe, Dylan Michaels. We'll hear from the Kansas City Chiefs. We'll hear from Andy Reid. We'll hear from uh, Patrick Mahomes. We will hear from Nick Bolton and Drew Tranquil. 
little defensive flavor going on. And the signal yeah. caller is up there at the podium. That's right. Nick Bolton is just going to play his one of four today. He's four people that would be talking, so he's just going to do his one of four. Um, it's a it, joke that uh, Nick Bolton likes to say, just got to do your one of 11. It's going to be on time. Everything's going to go according to plan. It's going to be a smooth operation. Yep. Is it going to be the best day of pressers? Maybe not, but it, right. it will be where it needs to be when you expect uh-huh. it to be there. Let's hear from Luke Keekley. I saw this yesterday, uh, the Up and Adams podcast. Uh, I like to DM myself. I slide in my DMs every once in a while. It's nice for someone, too. Uh, but uh, the Up and Adams podcast with Kay Adams, and uh, Luke Keekley was on it, um, longtime NFL linebacker, and one of the uh, craziest things my son has ever said to me um, had to do with Luke Keekley. I think you may have told this before, but I Four years ago. Okay. Kid's four years old. Okay. He's watching YouTube videos of football. Yeah. I walk in one day and he goes, Dad, do you know who Luke Keekley is? <laughs> You're four. Why do you? Yeah, son, it's kind of in my line of work. What are you talking about? You're four years old. Do you know who the Incredible Hulk is? Were those I his mean... first words? <laughs> if his first... Dad, do you know who Luke Keekley is? What the hell? No, his first word was dog. Luke no. Keekley. That guy was a dog. <laughs> He's got that dog in him. Dog? That was actually his first word. He said, dog. Yeah, he, he yes, did have that talk in him. It was the first thing weird. he let out. Um, but uh, Kay Adams asked Luke Keekley about guarding, catching Kelsey. But uh, guarding Kelsey, and uh, what do you do? Not necessarily stopping him, but what makes him so difficult to guard? Here's Luke Keekley on that. I think the thing with Travis, you know, you, you, you try to study as much as you can. You try to anticipate routes. He doesn't run. He runs normal routes. He runs fades like he just ran that, that touchdown, that back shoulder ball he caught against Baltimore. But nothing he does is truly on script. So he can come up. He can find a window. He can move out of a window. He has the freedom to kind of find space and sit down. And what we always talk about with guys like that is is you have to keep your eyes on Travis. You can't take your eyes off of, off of him and put him on Mahomes. If he comes out of a break, you think it's a typical out route. You put your eyes back to the quarterback. Then you lose sight of Kelsey. And once you lose sight of him, Mahomes knows that. Kelsey knows that. Now he's going to pivot and get open. So when you play guys like that that are so have such a good ability to kind of just go off the cuff, you got to have your eyes on them. you got to pin hips. you got to stay attached. And then when the ball is in the air, the one tell that guys like him have is, is his eyes. His eyes are always going to tell you when he's tracking the ball. The good guys, you can't read hands because they're going to wait to the last second, throw your hands up. But with Kelsey, if you can stay attached, you can keep your eyes on him, you can read his eyes. When his eyes begin to focus is when you can play through his hands. And it sounds super easy, but there's a reason that he's Travis Kelsey. It just watches once his eyes look, then play through his hands. It doesn't sound super easy to no, me, Luke. No, not, not at all. Uh, it's uh, explained maybe easy. Don't take your eyes off Kelsey. If you take your eyes off Kelsey, then Mahomes knows that you've taken your eyes off Kelsey. Kelsey knows that you've taken your eyes off of him. And uh, then he will adjust and uh, and he'll burn you there. But also, if you're never taking your eyes off Kelsey and you're playing zone, well, then you might open up an area for somebody else to fill. Or it might open up a spot for Mahomes to run if you're just simply watching Kelsey um, and trying to catch Kelsey. Next, uh, Last time I'll use that. Um, but I, I, that was a really interesting one because it's like you – you have to, one, not take your eyes off him, but then when you are keeping your eyes on him and not looking at Mahomes or the ball, you have to then watch his eyes because that's when you know the ball is heading your way. Then play through his hands. It narrows <laughs> the view of everything literally to eyes to eyes, and that's 
it's unbelievable, and it's a it's a proper evaluation of what it takes to actually try to find an edge on Travis Kelsey. You have to literally be like squinting into his squinted eyes. That right yeah. there, that pupil, that's your that's your path. So yesterday we played some New Heights podcast, mm-hmm. um, some clips from that. We didn't play this one, but it's great that you know to hear Luke Keekley say this Forgot because this is it, we didn't play. It sort of uh, rolls into yeah. that ball sort of rolling up on Travis Kelsey when he says that you know. Um, knowing when the ball is coming or looking at his eyes, uh, Travis Kelsey describing the routes and the touchdown and what was really interesting about, okay, if you're going to play through Kelsey's eyes, uh, this may not have worked for – or play through his hands when you see Kelsey's eyes look for the ball. This may not have worked for Kyle Hamilton. Here's Travis Kelsey explaining what happened on that touchdown catch against maybe the best safety in uh, eliminating uh, tight ends in a game. They're a man. They're a man with uh, Kyle Hamilton, man, and I'll tell you what. That dude has a bright future. He's already a stud. He's already a stud, and he had an unbelievable rookie year. But What is this, like a little wheel route? Like you're like out and up? Yeah, just an out and up. Just an out and up. We had shown that that uh, formation and uh, the concept over the past probably 10 games. We've ran that concept at least once. So kind of mm-hmm. been setting it up, and I've had, I don't know, probably like a handful of catches off of that concept where we just dot me on the out route. So we tried to do the out and up, and uh, he played it perfectly. He did play it perfectly. But that's – and this is what I wanted to ask you on this, because Pat throws a back shoulder, right? That's what this would be called against man-to-man. 100%, the, yeah. yeah. When – do you guys know immediately when Hamilton is playing it perfectly that if Pat throws this, he's going to try and hit me on the back shoulder it can, because it Hamilton can has leverage? Sorry, go it ahead. It can happen one talking. or two – no, you're good, you're good. These are good questions. I, it, it could happen one or two ways. Yeah. Depending on where he is, obviously Pat's going to try and give me the best opportunity to catch the ball. So if he's over top of me, he'll try and back shoulder me. But at the same time, if there's some sort of blitz, a guy comes free and Pat has to get the ball up quick and he can't make that decision like later on. So let's say on the out part, like Pat has to get the ball away. Now he might just get put it up and give me a chance to run and go and get it like come like catch it over the shoulder um, instead of the back shoulder. So you're still like trying to find it when when you. I didn't see that thing until it was about. You turned around late, five to ten yards. Very it kind of worked late. out in our favor because it happened. It was bang bang, but I did not see that. That ball was coming through the f-ing rafters. It was like coming out of like sweets in the background. It was like a like a a dark, foggy, and then the ball just <laughs> f-ing appeared like five yards from me. I was like, who's that? I love that sound. Who's your fan? Who's your fan? If Kyle Hamilton was playing through the eyes of Travis Kelsey or watching the eyes, of, that would have been tough to do because Kelsey said he looked back and it was about five to ten yards away from him. The ball was coming out of one of the suites, and then he just had, oh, well, there's the ball, and rolled up and caught it. I mean, you're running down the field as fast as you can while battling with that guy and hand fighting while also trying to catch a dot that's thrown a back shoulder while you're falling down when you see it about 10 yards before it's about to hit you. It, it's a great play from Kelsey, but that to me reemphasizes what a bleeping throw that was. That Patrick Mahomes basically was saying, I think I can put this somewhere where Travis Kelsey could essentially catch it with his eyes closed. <laughs> that's unbelievable. <laughs> He's going to catch it by just – he did that to Justin Watson too. Yep. By the way, that Justin Watson catch over the middle, Justin Watson had just turned his head and the ball already hit him oh. between the 8 and the 4. Like – I think the ball caught Justin Watson rather than him catching the ball. We'll take a timeout. We'll come back, and uh, we'll catch up with Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, Nick Bolton, Andrew Tranquil coming up next.